This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Joseph Berto from White City, Oregon, and you are listening to a special Horse Husbands Only edition of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 29th, brought to you today by the Shaken Fork and Flexen Fork. The monthly Horse Husbands episode. This one is for you guys. No horse women allowed. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Horse Husbands episode. We appreciate you stopping by. Now, we let the ladies listen last time. Not this time. Get out. Absolutely this is not. guys only. And if your husband or boyfriend or significant other plays golf, you're going to want to listen today because we're going to be not talking about horses for the second half of the show. Yeah, we'll talk about them for the first half. But the second half is not horses. It's golf. Yeah, well, we've also got a guest on this show that's who's a horse husband, but he has a very manly profession that, uh, at least when I was a young kid, I really dreamed of doing his profession. Oh, oh, oh. But, uh, oh. but it's astronaut? not a flying job. Not, not a flying job. Astronaut? I, I, that, that was, that's a little bit too, too, oh. that's, that's dreaming too much. Policeman? Uh, firefighter? Uh, no. No, no, you're getting further away. I don't really know. He never. He didn't tell me. <laughs> I, I know. I didn't tell you what it is. But it's actually, it's really good. And uh, his name's Jamie, and he and his wife have a big heart as well. Um, he and his wife run a program at their farm to help autistic children oh. through horses. And it's actually interesting oh, to hear cool. how they do that. So uh, listen in and get all the details. Very good. And then I have a guest coming on later in the show. He's an old friend of mine in the podcasting world by the name of Gabe, and he is president of the P- Private Club Agency. He goes all over the world speaking to golf clubs about how to run their clubs. He also is a podcaster, and he's starting a new TV show, and I can't wait for you to watch the video. It is so good. Uh, this is going to be great. If you're into golf, this is going to be a show you're going to want to watch. Well, Equity makes a product for golf courses. I think you knew that. Oh, that's right. The sifter thing. Yeah, we make the shake and rake for sifting out uh, the sand out of the the hazards, the golf bunkers. And so I'm always interested to talk to golf people. Well, A lot of them know our product. Well, there you go. Well, that's all coming up on today's show. But first, let's get to important things. And that is you bought yourself an ultralight that was like in pieces. And you said you put it together and flew it. Tell me about it. I, I did over over months. I, I took the thing all apart because I'm all about risk management. I'm not really a risk taker, but I finally got the thing all together. Uh, and uh, uh, When was, you're a pilot, taking risks is never a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to have an engine failure. And I was in the snowmobile business for a long time, and these things kind of have glorified snowmobile engines on them. So Speaking of which, all- before you go on, that reminds me. We got more comments on the last Horse Husband episode that I interviewed you and you told your life story than we've gotten on any Horse Husband episode we've ever done. What were the comments on? Oh, they all hated it and said, geez, Joseph's a jerk. Why is he even on this show? No, it was all, they all, you got, well, you got all teary-eyed and that gets the women. You better tell your wife you have a lot of women fawning over you right now. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, (laughs) no, it's fun to be interviewed by you. You kind of asked just the right question. Well, it was a good, it was good. And you've had led an interesting life, which sometimes interesting (laughs) is not good, but, and sometimes it is, but it always is good for stories when you live in an interesting life. Ask Jamie, she can tell you about that. It it is good for (laughs) stories. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the snowmobile business led to, to being able to work on the two stroke motors, which led to buying something that the motor hadn't run for a while and going through it carefully and putting it all back together, but it's all right. So you're ultralight. All right. Ultralight. Yeah. At some point the air hits the wings, you know, the rubber hits the road and you got to goose it and go. So I decided on Saturday, um, well, I decided on Saturday morning, I was going to take it out, but on the first, and you had rebuilt uh, the motor. Everything was good. Everything was good. All the nuts and bolts. (laughs) Yep. And, and told my wife I was going to go flying and how much fuel I had and how long I expected to be in the air. But I really was going to just do a little hop or two. That was all just, just just like the Wright brothers. 
Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, a, yeah, right, brother-ish. And so I give it the gas and go to take off, and all of a sudden the thing does a tremendous swerve to the right Uh-oh. and does a ground loop. So, oh, dang no. it. Did your yeah, wife so see I, that? Well, it was unexpected. No, she didn't see that. Oh, and good. so I, 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 shut it, I shut it off and get out, and the right-hand wheel was completely locked up. And it turned out that here's the thing about ultralights. You don't know what the person prior to you has done for modifications to the thing. Yeah. And so I went through the motor and I made sure that everything was working, but I didn't take like all the axles and everything apart. Well, that was a mistake because whoever had worked on it before hadn't put the kind of axle nuts on that are held in place by a cotter pin. They just put nuts on that were supposed to stay in place with a little... Yeah. And so as the thing was rolling, the night nut tightened up and it squeezed the bearing so tight that it, it locked up the wheel. So Aren't you glad at least that it, happened on takeoff and not landing? <laughs> that's what I told that's what I told Diane. Plus I decided not to take off on the runway. I took off on the grass field. So it it was really a non event. But I got that fixed and it wasn't until afternoon that I got to fly it. Or actually it was almost evening. And so once again I told Diane I was just gonna go out to do a little hop. And so I, I drove it up and down the runway a couple times, the field a couple times, and then finally aimed it into the wind. And I was just going to take off maybe three or four feet, buzz along for a little bit, and then land again, call it good. So I took off, and I'm three or four feet off the ground. All of a sudden, woof, gust of wind caught me. It's an ultralight. It's like a butterfly. And I'm 35 <laughs> feet up in the air, and I've just got enough airspeed to stay in the air, right? And you got to decide, okay, am I going to come back down to the ground, or am I just going to gun it and fly? And I decided the better thing to do was to gun it and fly because I hadn't landed the thing and I didn't want to have an unintentional <laughs> landing. <laughs> so, so I flew around a couple of times and flew over the house and made some turns and things like that and then just made a practice approach and then, um, and then put it on for good. But here's the weird part. I haven't been flying airplanes that much of late. I've been flying helicopters. And it was very, very strange to be moving when I landed. Mm. Because oh, yeah, that would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, so I, so I almost got a little bit too slow, a little bit too high, and um, and it came in with a thump, but it, it didn't didn't hurt anything, and it didn't bounce. And I figure anytime you don't bounce an airplane on landing, it's a good landing. Well, you did and, better uh, than the last landing we had coming back from England. <laughs> <laughs> a little bumpy. Yeah, huh? yeah. <laughs> a little bumpy. <laughs> well, this is great. So, so you got it up, and you didn't die. No, and, and Diane was actually wondering what the heck I was doing. She knew I wasn't planning on flying, but in the end, you know, it was safe, and, and I came down and was all smiles and everything, and I took it up the next day and flew it around for an hour and a half, and actually... Oh, really? Wow. And How long will it go, part, by the way? Uh, it'll go about two hours, Okay, it, but it won't go very far. Um, it, it flies at about 30 miles an hour, but if you have a 15-mile-an-hour headwind, you're just doing 15 miles an hour. So it, it, it's not going to so stray your horse far might beat from you. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the great part about it was about five miles away from my house as I'm returning back, what do I see? Puff of smoke. Oh, no. So I, I don't know if there's a texting and flying law, but I took <laughs> out my phone and I texted the Department of Forestry that I used to work for. And I let them know that at this location, here's a fire that I just saw. It was an acre. Oh, I thought you threat. meant your engine had a puff of smoke. You had me. That <laughs> no, was, was a fire on the ground. So I call in a fire, right? I'm a re- retired fire pilot. The first time I fly <laughs> an ultralight, I get to participate in the fire by calling it in. And so so they um, they used my call in as the, as the launch thing and said thanks for the advisory, and that was it. Did they go out and put out the fire? <laughs> they, they put it out at, at less than an acre, and uh, no no structures damaged, and everything was good. So, oh, wow. yeah, felt pretty good. So the fire was just for me. It made it so that I, I, I felt like I <laughs> could be a There was some purpose of you being up there. <laughs> yeah, right, right, a purpose, yeah, yeah. So, so was it fun? Today, I'm getting in the ultralight. I'm going flying again. Was it fun? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's really, really fun. And, and in fact... Ultralights bring you right back to the Wright brothers. You were talking about, you know, the Wright brothers and, and, and the flying, but these things, instead of wood and fabric, are made from aluminum and fabric, but they are fabric. They weigh about the same as the Wright Flyer did, and they have about the same horsepower as the Wright Flyer. They're a lot more controllable because they have ailerons instead of wing warping and that kind of thing. But um, it's it's that experience. There's nothing in front of you except your legs, and so it's like sitting on the edge of a Ferris wheel as you come over the top. And um, the distance between you and the ground is about the thickness of your wallet. And so when you land, you're really landed. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> As for, then, so to say, so, so to speak. 
Yeah, and the, the nice part of it is that the weight of the thing is, I think, around 200 or 250 pounds. It's, it's very light. Is it easy and, uh, to handle to turn and all of that? Does it what? Is it easy to turn? And, or do, In do the you, air? Do you have to manhandle it a bit, or is it easy? No, no, no. No, it's, it's very, very it's, – it's just like a butterfly. And you have all the controls. So you have a rudder, and you have ailerons on the wings, and so you can actually fly it like an airplane. Or you can just be lazy and use your feet and just use the rudder to push you around the sky like it's a model airplane. Um, so it, it, so it, it, it gets high mark in my books. It's just a very simple, basic way to fly. It's really slow. It's not terribly noisy. And it's surprisingly safe. If you had an engine out, the, the thing you hardly glide down? knows. Pardon me? You, you could glide down if your engine went out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they don't glide well, but then again, they don't fly well. They and probably so glide lose... better than that helicopter did. They're, it's pretty dang similar. In fact, the, the cone of landing where you're going to land in the ultralight when the engine is off is about the same as it is in a little Robinson helicopter, that you're going to come down and you might as well pick the field within 360 <laughs> degrees of where you're at and set it up for landing because in 15 seconds you're going to be there. I've seen some bad hot air balloon landings, so I know it's the same problem. <laughs> I, I think hot air balloons are worse than ultralight. Well, at least they, you can steer. <laughs> I, like, yeah, yeah, you can steer and you can turn into the wind. The, the, the nice thing is, is is landing into the wind, your ground speed is really slow, whereas balloons are always going with the wind. And so unless it's absolutely quiet, you're going to bump along until that that big hot air envelope, you know, deflates. We, we, yeah. um, you're, you're going to know what this is, probably can explain it, and then we'll get to our first guest. But we were, we always went and watched the, at Hershey, yes, Hershey, where the chocolate factory is, uh, they would have a huge balloon launch every year, about 100 balloons. And they, we went out the one morning and watched them all light up and everything, and they would take off below the Hershey Hotel, right beside the amusement park, and the factories were all right there. It's me, and it did smell like chocolate. So we would go watch, well, the one year, the balloons started taking off, and all of a sudden, they started doing the craziest stuff, all of them. And the announcer comes on and says, oh, this isn't good. We have box winds today. Oh, my. Which meant the balloons would go up about 50 feet and then go straight across Sorry. and then come crashing down. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. They would go up, go straight across, and come down. One hit the hotel. Uh, they oh were hit. They God. were landing on cars in the parking lot. It was awful. They were just going everywhere. And I guess the ballooners, you know, they did. They didn't realize it. And once they got up there, they had. Not, they were committed. You know, was, what are they going to do? So the smart ones just brought them down right away. And then a couple of them got off and threw that box wind, which I guess is a straight sheer wind that's a, at a pretty low level, because yeah. they would get up that high and then they would just go like straight across the sky hit each other it was bad it was bad wow. there were, I, yeah. i've heard of that box win but not in a not in a negative way it's for people that at different altitudes you can go different directions and so well, you they were to one out. <laughs> they were yeah well if you have a hundred balloons in the air at the same time that wouldn't be good no it wasn't good the smart ones came down a couple got through it and then higher than the box wins and they they managed to get off but most of them that day came down. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. I don't know. There were a couple damp. You know, there was a lot of damage, but nobody was hurt, and that's lucky. <laughs> Those it's, people it's who worth, paid for a ride. Oh my god! <laughs> it's worth going to a balloon festival just to watch that thing where they light up the balloons. Yes, They're, and wow. they would every morning, and we'd go out, and then they'd take off. They it was cool because they had some of the cartoon character ones and stuff. But that was the most bizarre thing we've ever seen. And of course, you don't understand what's happening. All you see is balloons going everywhere, <laughs> crashing, and <laughs> and a lot of panicked people. <laughs> As I said, all those people who paid for their first balloon ride, I guarantee you, they never went up again. <laughs> All right, let's call your first guest. Uh, all right, very good. We have our wonderful guest from Georgia. You'll be able to tell he's from Georgia because he's got a beautiful twang to his voice. But his name is Jamie Witt. Good morning, Jamie. Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all? We're doing just fine. So tell me, where do you live in Georgia? Well, me and my wife, Allison, um, we live in a little city, little bitty town called Temple, Temple, Georgia. It's it's just north of a of a bigger city, Carrollton. We're uh, 19 miles off I-20 off the Alabama line. Uh, and how long have you lived there? Uh, so we've been there, I want to say approximately 12 years in, in Temple. We have another farm in the city of Hiram, which is a bigger city. We still have it, and it's um, 
I think we've been there about 32 years. And how long have you been married to Allison? Sounds like a long time. Well, oh, gosh, I think 20, now don't get me wrong, because she'll correct me if she was here. I think somewhere around 27, 28 years. So you're definitely an experienced husband. How did you and Allison meet? Were Were you uh, a horseman prior to that, or was she the horse person, or did you get get into it together? Well, no, I had horses before I met her, and I was uh, trying to do this little dating game and didn't know how to dance. So, you know, as most guys don't. So anyway, so I took private dance lessons. Well, guess who they paired me up with? They paired me up with her because she was five foot ten back then, and I'm I'm six foot. So we took private dance lessons together, and then we got invited to go dance up in Knoxville, Tennessee, on what was that club? Club Dance and a White Horse Cafe, and we did about six or seven episodes up there dancing, and that's how we actually got together and you know got to meet as a couple. And had she been a horse person at that point, or? Or she actually not, got into horses through you? No, not really. I, I took her after we met her. I took her back to the barn uh, a couple of days later, invited her over, and put her on one of my big Tennessee walking horses. And she took off on it like she knew how to ride. And all the old men in the barn over there, I could hear them all over, Lord, Lord, she's going to run that horse. Oh, Lord, she's galloping. You know, she's just, she's out there having a ball on it. And she's doing everything she's not supposed to do on those horses. But we went ahead and let her have her fun and let her ride it out. And eventually she rent the horse and I ended up having to buy it. And she still owns that horse today. He's over 30 years old. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> <laughs> There's a man who knows how to take care of a horse. Yeah. Well, that, well, she did that. And then she traded me her Jeep for it before we got married. And of course we got married and she got the horse and the Jeep back. So (laughs) (laughs) that's funny. Well, one of the things I really, I really wanted to ask you about here was what you do for a living. Now, what I do is I drive a train. I'm a locomotive engineer, um, for Norfolk Southern out here in Georgia. And, uh, I've been doing that for, I think this is my 22nd year. Okay, so now my wife's whole family were railroaders. So, like, if we go anywhere that you can ride a train, my wife wants to ride the train. It, it, I think it gets in the blood of families. Were, were any of your other relatives railroaders? Yeah, my grandparents were up in Kentucky. Uh, all my kinfolk on my mom's side up in Kentucky, they all worked for the railroad. Well, you know, it even does. Back it's in, like in, in the, the blood. Great Depression. Yeah. yeah, well, I guess way back then in the Great Depression, you either you worked for the railroad or you worked for the federal government or you were hungry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, <laughs> so really, uh, are you familiar with? Are you familiar with O. Winston Link's uh, photography of steam trains? I have seen it, but I'm I'm not that familiar with it. I have seen it. I know that uh, I had talked to you briefly about steam trains, and you had an in- interesting comment about them. Well, re- remind me. I don't remember. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you were saying that they got better. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. No, they did get better. It's like a house. You know, a log cabin's pretty, right? But they came out with something better, sheetrock and insulation. Same thing with the steam engines. They came out with diesel fuel. <laughs> Aren't you glad you don't have to shovel coal all day in this heat? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the maintenance has got to be really something different, too. I've always wondered that, that when you get on a rail as a locomotive engineer, do you always know where that rail is going to wind up? Because like it is a pilot, sometimes you're going along and you get diverted. And you don't wind up at the same place. But then I thought, well, how the heck would you change rails? You're stuck on that thing, aren't you? Well, I mean, they do have little switches that can throw you in a different direction. But no, you're going to go, if you get on a train and you're going to get on one, we'll say in Atlanta, Georgia, and that train's headed to New Orleans, you're going to go to New Orleans. (laughs) One way or the next. You're not going anywhere else. Yeah, you You may scoot up a little bit northern Mississippi and come back down, but... You know, to miss a derailment or some, you know, a track stuck, you know, tractor, tractor trailer stuck on the, you know, the track. But now you're going in the right direction. Oh, you must have seen some crazy stuff along the tracks. What, what, what's some of the crazy things you've witnessed? 
uh, we see stuff all the time, hidden cars. And, and, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is how heavy these trains are. These trains, are, let me tell you, just the locomotive, not the cars, not the 150 cars behind me. Just that one locomotive is so heavy that if it ran over your arm, they cannot fix it. If they ran over your arm, it will not bleed. It seals and heats up and seals the blood vessels back. That's how that's how heavy this train is. Okay, well then I'm not laying down on the tracks anytime soon. <laughs> um, so, so how no. and, and it takes forever to stop the suckers, doesn't it? Yes, sir. It takes about uh, it takes approximately five thousand feet to stop a regular a regular sized train. The regular train's about a mile long, and it weighs roughly about seven thousand tons. And once all the brakes have been applied, we've got a lever, we can apply all the brakes at one time, instantly, within like three seconds. Once they've been applied, it will slide for about a mile before it comes to a stop. So it sounds like the caboose is going to be the first person to show up at the accident. Well, yeah, sort of. What you have to remember is over the years, the rails are they're not flat and the wheels are not flat. Everything is built at, at an arch, at a round arch. The rail is arched on top. So all you're riding on is the inside little ball. In the same way with the wheel, it's arched that cut at an angle. So all you're riding with is that little inside of the wheel ball. And that's why they use sand to start the train with because 4,000 horsepower will n- do nothing but spin. I was just going to say, how the heck sand. do you get a mile-long train started? With sand. With sand. Yeah, you lay sand down and you load your amperage up. Although it's a diesel unit, it runs off electric motors. And you just I wonder why they don't put, put sand down amperage. to stop them. Well, we do. It dumps. It does stop. That's it. Dumps sand on the rail. I did. It, it would take longer than that if it didn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it dumps. We've got uh, both the whole nose of that engine and the rear of that engine's full of sand. So, uh, how much does snow and ice affect it? I always wondered that. It don't. No. It's so heavy. Remember the part being so heavy? Yeah. Uh, it don't do nothing. It just squishes that right out of the way. Okay. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> it ain't like it ain't even there. It won't affect it at all. <laughs> That's funny. And were you doing, were you a, a train driver? I like you say a train driver. And I, I used to say I was a, a helicopter driver, but a train. were you a train driver when you met your wife? Uh, no, I was actually a conductor back then. You're a conductor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the guys that get on the ground and build the trains. They hook the cars up and tie the handbrakes and, you know, put the right car in the right order. And I did that for, I think, five years. And then uh, she realized the retirement, because we got one of the best retirements in the country. Um, right now, our retirement sitting in somewhere around $6,000 a month. And if you're married, they'll pay your spouse 3000 They'll pay her half. Wow. Or him, you know, one of your spouses. Wow. So, Nobody has retirement you know, at you, all anymore. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. the best in the country. So oh, when wow. she found out that she could draw three or $4,000, she said, well, I think we'll be getting married tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was no divorce. She wasn't leaving you, and you weren't leaving her. She wasn't going to let you. <laughs> it's like, no, I no, want that retirement. No. <laughs> She's a good woman, very pretty, and I love her to death. And thank the world of it. Her mother is a retired minister. It's just that you know when you when they live in Nebraska, and you come home, and your mother, your wife's mother, sitting in your living room, says, "Hey, what's your mother doing here?" She says, "Oh, she wants to talk to you about getting married tomorrow." I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so, do you have a lot of days uh, off as an engineer? No, sir. Um, what we do now. Due to the federal government, not railroads, the federal government makes us work six starts. We get to work six trains, and then they force us to take two days off. And is it in place, it, or is it going to be at your house? It, no, it'll be at your house, but you know it's going to be alternating days. You never know when you're going to be off. Oh, I see. Because you got to get those six starts in. Yes, sir. And you know and. Like tonight, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee tonight. Now, I may not get called out till 10, 11, 12, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know. You know, it's a whole different thing when you say you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but you arrived there by train. That's way different than saying I I drove my Prius there. (laughs) No, no. It takes about 10 or 12 hours to get here on a train. 
So when you get home and you're with your wife, you got a farm there, and I understand that you have a uh, a program that you and your wife run at your farm. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, now what she does, and you know, she retired. She used to work in a stock market. She handled Verizon's money, Nestle's, and a bunch of boards. She hoard, she handled you know large sums of money. And I think the pressure kind of got to her a little bit, and she decided she'd go ahead and retire early. But what she wanted to do was take kids and autistic kids. She has a lot of autistic kids that came out to our place, and we have a bunch of older horses uh, that are super, super good with the kids. And she started giving them riding lessons. And she was trying to make her, you know, a living off of it, 35 bucks an hour, which ain't that much. And, you know, then a lot of the kids couldn't pay. And when they can't pay, no, they still ride for free. She doesn't make them pay. Um, but she started doing all this. Well, these kids got so good that they started competing at the state level. Uh, we've got two of them. No, actually, we've got three of them going down to Perry, Georgia this weekend, Labor Day weekend, to compete in the Georgia State Championship. And... Uh, one of them, bless it, one of them's horses come up lame, and you know, but it does happen. And so they're gonna, we're going to move some horses around. We, we're going to make sure they all get to show and get to compete. But the thing is, when you take these kids that we found out, uh, when you take them, the first thing we do to them is we get them away from their security blanket, their mother, their <laughs> father, because they won't act a kid when they're around their security blanket. Now, you take mom and daddy away from them, put them in the barn. You know, if you get them kids up on a horse, and they can be a regular kid. They will ride. You will not know anything's wrong with them. They sit up there, they talk, they steer the horse. They do everything in the world they're supposed to do. They just don't know that old horse ain't going to come off that rail because he's so old. He's just trained to walk. <laughs> but to them, they're being a cowboy and a cowgirl. And sure. it really makes a big, big difference in them. And when they get done, do you know what they want to do? They want to go clean the horse. They want to brush the horse. They want to do things that they normally wouldn't do. And normally stuff they couldn't do. But we don't let them ride for free because they're going to learn to do something to that horse if they just take a brush and brush his hair. Right. It it teaches them discipline teaches them self-respect and all of these kids you can come down y'all are welcome to come down to perry georgia this weekend i promise you you can come down there and any of the kids that we have you know the first thing they're going to say to any of y'all they're going to say yes sir no sir and that's what it teaches them and you're talking about all of the kids not not just the 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 kids without any disabilities but the autistic kids and everybody they all show they all clean they all ride that is correct. Every one of them, it teaches them manners and respect and listen to elders. It's one of the best things you've got going out there. And it's a secret, too, because a lot of the parents don't want to tell the other parents because they don't want to get bumped, bumped out of a slot. <laughs> There's only so many horses. <laughs> That's what I was just going to ask. How many horses do you have there? We have 39. Oh, wow. Gosh. <laughs> and, uh we yeah, what's you know, I'm thinking one or two horses. No, no, no. We've got 39, and we probably have, just guessing, we probably got 12 of them older than you and me put together. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, they don't have teeth. Uh, they just, you know, they're thin because they can't eat, but yet we do keep them alive. We feed them a slush milkshake twice a day with vitamins and everything in it, grind hay up and put it in there so they can have hay because they can't even eat grass. And it keeps them alive, and it also gives them a job to work for these kids because they love seeing the kids because when they see the kids come over, they know they're going to get fed. Huh. So it, it's, it, it's, a, you know, it's a good deal on both of them. You, you really can't beat it. Boy, it I wish there was, yeah, I wish there was more places like it. But like I say, they are actually competing now at the state level and if one of them wins, I think one of them is going to win, they're going to go get to eat lunch with the governor of Georgia. That's one of the perks that they get in first place down there. How do you like that? How did, how did you get into that? I mean, it started out with just one or two horses, and 
You don't start with 39 horses, I'm sure. No, it started out with a couple of them. And, and when our son was born, they said that he was hyper and autistic and everything. And uh, they wanted to put him on drugs and everything. And we decided, you know what, I don't think so. So my mom went to the doctor with us. And, you know, my mom said, no, all that boy needs is a good butt whipping. He's all boy. You know, <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with him. So she wouldn't let him put him on drugs or anything like that. So we got him out riding the horses, and that fixed him. Give him a challenge. He could challenge it as far as he wanted to, go as fast as he wanted to. And it gave him a goal that you had to do this, or you're not going to get to go down to, to Perry, Georgia, and compete with all these other kids. Because it's a huge place. There'll be 3,000 kids down there this weekend with a big fence around it, and they can't nobody steal them. They ain't going to let them out the gate. Huh. It's It's wonderful. You can turn them loose. You don't have to worry about it. You must have some help. I, I can't imagine wrangling 39 kids at a show like that. Do you, do you have the parents get involved and assist? I mean, oh. the horses don't know the kids are autistic, obviously, so they're going to just be horses. Right. No, we get we get other parents in there to help us. We have to. We can't do it all by ourselves. Yeah. You know, I, mean, you I work clean, all the time. You can't take care of that many horses by yourself. <laughs> that's a lot of horses. Yeah, well, that's yeah all. you can, too. <laughs> Yeah, you do do it. And we we got a little tractor, and we have a man uh, that because we keep the kids' horses up in a barn, and because we don't want them to get hurt, they're worth you know they're worth a Lamborghini. They're worth you know what I'm saying. They're, you can't replace yeah, them, right? And uh, we keep them up in the barn, and we have another guy that comes out early spring, and he collects all the horse manure, and he makes money off of it. And he turns around and sells it. People put on their gardens. You know, the fertilized gardens and all with So I don't have to get rid of it. If you anybody to wants to do that at our farm, please come on over so I don't have to anymore. <laughs> just saying. Uh. <laughs> yeah. well, and and you, Jamie, here's you, the fun part. You and I met through our business, which is equity manufacturing, because you, some years back, in fact, bought one of our shaken forks. And yes. not to derail the conversation about your children here, but could you tell us a little bit about that? Because you're, you're talking about 39 horses worth of manure. That's a well, lot of shaking. Let me tell you. Now, we bought the carbon fiber handle because it was lighter. And at one point, we thought that it broke, but we found out later it didn't break. Just a little nut had come loose on it. According to the wife, it broke. But when I looked at it, it was just a little nut loose. It wasn't no big deal. And I don't know what she paid for that thing, but I'm telling you, as much as she has used that thing and brags about it, it's worth a million dollars for the work that it has saved her and them kids sifting through them, them shavings and saved me shavings. Because she said it's still still and saved my dry shavings. So I don't have to go out and buy a dump truck load every, you know, every two weeks. And she said it saved her a ton of money. Yeah, so, that's, that's the thing that we, we, we try to, you know, it's, it's great to hear you say that, and, and it's much, much better out of your mouth than out of my mouth, but that's the experience that we found is, and, and Glenn will, will mimic this, that we say that you save half the time or half the savings, and sometimes both. And, um, she, can, and, she can do her stalls twice, more than twice as fast with it, and she can save her savings, and the neat thing is, here's the other part now. Because most, we all know women do it because us men were too lazy to go in there and help. Just a little bit, we, we will, but the majority of it's done by women. Not only does it do it in half the time and save her shavings, she doesn't have to haul as many shavings back in either because it saves them in the stall where you don't have to keep moving around. Yep. Yep. And you don't have to get rid of them. And so it's, no. it's just. There's just a savings all around, and, and your your wife, she's really smart to have bought that carbon fiber one because it does cost more, but it doesn't weigh any more than a regular fork, and it does the work right. for you. So so it's so easy to use, and I tell people, if, if you think that it's easier to do it manually, just don't squeeze the trigger, and now go back to manual shavings. It's the same weight, and then you're going to find out it's like having a toothbrush and something that make you don't don't have to move your hand. It just does all of the cleaning for you, and it's it's really a remarkable thing. And I'm glad you had such good luck. All of our products, most of the time when we get on the show, we talk about something that's broken because it's how I talk to people. But everything's going to wear eventually, and we're around to fix it. And like you say, in your particular case, it was a really easy fix. Just something had come loose, and um, and we're around oh, yeah. to take care of it. 
no, it's I, I can promise you it's been used and used and it's still hanging in there and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'm surprised they, as long as she's had this, she has not even broke a tooth off of it. Now, how many, you can't even go buy a cherry picker and not do that. <laughs> you know, then your batteries are still lasting too, which is wonderful with the lithium ion batteries. I bet so. you if you ran it over with a train, it would still be okay. <laughs> and it wouldn't it bleed fly. either. It wouldn't bleed. It no, wouldn't no, bleed. it wouldn't bleed. That's right. <laughs> it didn't cauterize. <laughs> oh That's well, Jamie, right. do you have a do you have a website where people could go to visit your 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 program, ranch and yeah. and read more about it? Yes, sir. We do. Uh, I can. Uh, it is. Let me take the. It is racking, r a c k i n g, horse h o r s e, dot net. Okay, rackinghorse dot net. Rackinghorse dot net. Well, thank you for doing yeah. the good work you do for the kids, and and uh, you know you're you're you truly are helping, and we appreciate anybody in the horse world that is doing work like that. Well, then we appreciate y'all coming up with that good invention because you just don't realize how much time and labor and material that you've been saving us. <laughs> it has really helped out a lot. Well, Jamie, thank you for joining us and uh, safe driving. I appreciate it, guys. Y'all call me if you need me now. All right. All right. Thanks care. again, Jamie. Well, that was fun, Joseph. And I know for a fact that you didn't coach him on that whole flex and fork and shake and fork thing. So, <laughs> so that was perfect <laughs> nope. commercial oh, for we, you. <laughs> yeah, no, that was nice. It was from the heart. And, and once again, when we get somebody that calls with something that's broken, it's all the better when you fix it to the point that they, you know, they're still talking good things about it, which we've had people on enough times that have said that. That we do stand behind what we sell, well, even and, though they're expensive. Unfortunately, these people are calling you because they turn out to be great guests. So. <laughs> yeah, it is fun, isn't it? And we got another one for next month, too. So, um, yeah, yes, stay tuned. Okay, and if you want to buy our product, yeah. um, go to equitymfg.com. That's E-Q-U-I-T-E-E-M-F-G.com. And we've got the forks, and we've got parts for fencing. We've got filters for chainsaws. Just a whole bunch of stuff. All stuff that Joseph invented, too. So that makes it extra cool. And if you missed last month's episode of Horse Husbands, go back and take a listen to it. Because as I said earlier in the show, it was very popular. So go back and take a listen to that one. We finally stopped talking about horses on this show. And we're going to talk about something that most horse husbands do, or significant others. And that's a lot of them play golf. I know Jamie, who's our normal co-host here, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Chad, who's a retired colonel in the Air Force, he plays golf and has for a long time. I think if you're an officer in the uh, any of the military services, it's required that you play golf. I think it's a requirement. But we have a guest on tonight who I've known for quite a while in the podcasting space, and he knows a little bit about golf. His name is Gabe Aloisi. Is it? How do you say your last name? You did it perfectly, Glenn. That's I did. Good, Aloisi. Aloisi. Wow, I never say right. your last name. <laughs> Maybe the first time <laughs> in my life I've said it. So, Gabe, you're you are the president of Private Club Agency, and you also do your own podcast. So, tell us what Private Club Agency is. Yeah, Private Club Agency is a marketing agency specifically for private golf and country clubs. So, we help clubs all around the country and in other parts of the world try to attract more members to the club because um, I'll tell you a, just a, a quick story about how I got into the private club industry or how I got into private clubs. I was living on this little remote island called Sikior in the Philippines, and it's three three days away from anything. Were you banished from the United States? Uh, <laughs> what, 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 did they send you off to the furthest place they could find that didn't have civilization? <laughs> Almost, yeah. I mean, I don't think I was banished, but I was definitely, you know, trying to uh, trying to live 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 in the world, be a man of the world. <laughs> well, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So I was in this very remote place. I was lonely, and I was I was playing some basketball in the afternoons just to kill some time. And finally, this guy came up to me and said, "Hey, you should uh, come over to the Sikior Tennis Club." And the Sikior Tennis Club was the uh, island's uh, private club, and it was 100 members. There was one tennis court. I was going to say, played... did they have grass growing up through it? And... <laughs> they called it They called it clay court. I called it a dirt court. <laughs> there was one employee, and it cost me all of $20, $20 to be the first ever a Caucasian member of this club. So that, that was pretty much a trip. But, but what made that club great, and what I love about clubs and golf and the sport 
in general is that it's it's a community and i made i made some of the uh, best friends there and that's kind of what kept me sane on this little tiny island so that's how you got to play golf that's how you started well that's how i got into the private club world so when i came back um you know i started my marketing agency and you know kind of looked around for a niche and uh, a niche that was attractive to me was was golf i'd always played golf with my dad growing up that was like our thing and then private clubs you know like i said is all about connection and and kind of my mission as life is is to help folks connect in a in a more meaningful way and so that was the perfect niche for me to find and you have Aren't most travel- clubs private i this sounds like a question. stupid question no, but not a being question. a golfer it seems like most are most clubs a private club or are most of them public? Well, most golf courses, I would say the majority are public or daily fee. Uh, there's about 3,500 private golf courses in the United States and about 6,500 around the world. So it's, it's a, like I said, it's a pretty, pretty narrow demographic and niche that I serve. So now you, you, you have been traveling around the world doing this too. Did you ever imagine that you would become, you know, a sought after speaker to go to Europe and to the Far East and all the places you've been? No, not at all. So I started, I started my podcast called Private Club Radio and I was nervous as can be like in front of a microphone. In fact, I had to like script down every single question for my guests and uh, I, I, if you listen back to my first few episodes, they were pretty, pretty bad. But that all the of podcast, <laughs> they all sucked. The, po- the podcast be- became my platform, and and as I got better at it, I got more confident. And I never would have guessed starting out that I would be a public speaker because, again, the first time I spoke, you know, my mouth, uh, cl- my my throat closed up, my mouth got dry, and I ummed a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my content wasn't very good, but. But like anything, it's a muscle that you've got to exercise, and and you get you learn by you learn by bombing. So, uh, yeah, it, it became it became something completely different than what I what I first expected. Now, Private Club Radio, how long have you been doing that? Private Club Radio will be around for four years in uh, January. Because yeah. I think I met you about four years ago, actually. It about, was. That'd be about right. Yeah. Well. Well, one of the reasons I named it Private Club Radio is because you, uh, you, you called it Horse Radio Network. And, and similar to your niche of, of horses, you know, my niche of golf people didn't know anything about podcasts. And right. so uh, you gave me, you actually gave me that tip. Well, I, <laughs> so wish I appreciate it. Some of the rounds of golf I played, I wish I had something to listen to because I sucked. I was awful. <laughs> I played for years and I was awful the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you still enjoy it though? Or, or no, not at the end. I didn't at all. Which <laughs> is why I didn't play anymore. Right Joseph, on. did you play? Well, I, I played very briefly. The the last game that I played, I remembered one of this was over in Thailand. It's funny you said you were in Singapore, but if you if one of the members of the 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 group didn't hit their their uh, their tee off past the women's tee. Then at the next watering hole, you had to buy a round of drinks for everybody. You were oh, broke, weren't you, Joseph? <laughs> and, in, and in Thailand, I think um, every single uh, hole has a watering hole. And the further along you got with your seven or eight guys, I guarantee you one out of those seven or eight guys doesn't <laughs> hit it past the women's tee. And so by the time you play 18, you're bombed. <laughs> and what? You're, you're you're lucky you played there, not the United States. Here, you got to drop your pants. That's that's the. Is rally. that what? Is that right? <laughs> I'd rather drink. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I don't I like want to play golf. with the guys who are dropping their pants. <laughs> I like playing golf in Asia though, because uh, you get uh, an umbrella girl and a usually, caddy, like, and oh, a caddy. Yeah. So you got two people following you around. You have your own little gallery. It's kind of cool. Is oh it- my god, it was that part was incredible because uh, you have the umbrella girl, like you said, and then the caddy selects your clubs for you. And, and uh, I mean, it was, I felt like a million dollars, but it doesn't help <laughs> after you've had, you know, three beers. <laughs> In fact, I made some really bad decisions after that day. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> you know, when I quit golfing was when they started, when I was playing, the houses were not right up against the golf course. You know, golf courses were wide open. There wasn't houses against the you know the fairways Mm -hmm. so when they started you know building houses there and i kept putting it in backyards and against windows (laughs) that was it i was like i was done and then the one day i shanked one and hit this guy (laughs) in the back who was like who was like straight over about three t's and then that was it i quit you know that was it i I was i should 
I shouldn't tell the story, but I, I was um, I won't tell you the city I was in <laughs> to uh, to protect the the innocent. But uh, a, a gentleman had just purchased a new car, and I I yoinked one left, and it <laughs> it's car, and the guy came running after me on the course. He said, "Who who hit that shot?" I and I pointed behind me. I said, "I think it was that group," and then I took off. <laughs> And there was a low speed chase. He he started running. I'm in a cart going like eight miles an hour. <laughs> trying to get out of there. Uh, uh, well, had... I don't know. We make a, a product for for golf courses for cleaning um, bunkers, sand traps. And uh, I I have a lot of friends that love to play golf. And in Oregon, here we have Bandon Dunes and a lot of other beautiful golf yeah. courses. And um, I did not realize how technical golf was. Um, what I guess when you're a starter, um, just getting the ball somewhere on a fairway and somewhere close to a, a hole is, is, uh, is good enough. But as you get better, sand traps even start to become part of your game. Yeah. And when you, you start to get like that, well, I have friends that are that, uh, that good that they use a sand trap as, as a, um, as a strategic maneuver, you know, to stop the ball in a certain place or however it is that they're going to do it. And, uh, and I imagine that the private clubs that you're doing have to take pretty good care of their courses. Cause I know that maintenance of golf courses is pretty intense. Yeah, it is. That's, that's one of the, that's one thing that when you step onto a private course versus a public course, for the most part, you're going to get much better conditions. Absolutely. And, and bunkers is a big part of that. Yeah, so, the number of people that you have to to have just to clean bunkers. I, when I was talking to people, they said seventy percent of the maintenance on a golf course is bunker cleaning, wow. bunker maintenance. Yeah, it's really really high because people don't want to get a a little um, on a greenside bunker. They don't want to have a little piece of pea gravel go up onto the green, <laughs> sure, and then they hit it with their super special real mower and ding the mower, and mm. it's, it, it's a complex problem. I bet. A lot more than I ever gave it credit for. Like, is it the same way in the horse world, like with horse tracks? Out of curiosity, uh, well, I mean, they, you know, you you'll you'll groom them, you'll make them flat again, but it's not as as critical yeah. as that. Yeah. Um, so I got to ask you, Gabe. You must have some stories from playing golf over the years. What, what do you have? A couple crazy stories. I had one. We were playing the on this, and of course I was terrible. So, but I played. I was a, actually when I f- first started out, I was a short order cook at night, and the guy who was the head chef at the place that I worked, uh, we would go out after a whole night shift from eleven to seven, making a thousand eggs. We would go out and we would play eighteen holes of golf, and this jerk wanted to walk it. And it was like on the side of a mountain. And so I was exhausted. I could barely walk the last nine. Let I, I, I could have thrown the ball further. But the one, we came over this one hill. I had hit the ball and actually got it on the fairway. I was so excited. And awesome. out of the trees, we hear this humming. And I look up, and there is the largest swarm of bees I've ever seen. We both hightailed it out there, and that that swarm hung around that fairway. We never went back for our balls. We just oh we both took bars and went on. Uh, <laughs> like you take a par, not a bogey. Jesus yeah, no, thing. we take. Yeah, I could have probably. Yeah, that was that was dumb, wasn't it? Uh, but then half the time I didn't count coming out of the trees as a as a uh, shot either. So, so what are <laughs> your some of your head. wild stories? Well, I grew up in Baltimore, so things were wild were happening all the time. You're getting shot uh, at while you're. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and rats were going across the fairway, right? <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like you'd be standing on the tee box and someone would come by and just blare their horn or something. Uh, and then one time we're up, up at the top of a hill. It's like a par three and you're, the tee box is up on the top and the green's down and about 100 feet down. And, you know, we get out of our golf carts, go to the green. We we look back and, and kids had leaped in our golf cart and stole it. And they're going <laughs> down the hill just screaming like, Welcome Aah! to Baltimore. <laughs> They, that would also if you if you hit a bad shot on a few holes, uh, the kids would pick them up and then they'd try to sell you your ball back. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are good. But I think my all time my all time favorite story is my uh, my cousin um, Damon. He's he's a great guy, but we were in a you know he's a very competitive guy like me, and so we were in a match and I had him by like uh, he was down one or two holes, and he hits a shot. And he's sort of stymied behind a tree. And, uh, you know, he could have taken his medicine and maybe hit a, hit a little shot, but, you know, being down, down a shot to me, he wanted to try to hit the miracle shot. And so he takes this big swing, tries to hit it low. It bounces off the tree and right back at him, right? It's a right in the forehead. 
it, it's funny, but not funny. You, the blood was gushing down. Oh, really? <laughs> Jeez. So basically, he hit himself with a golf ball. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> so, Gabe, you're start. I wanted to have you on because I saw a trailer, and and I know who filmed this. It was uh, our friend Neil, who who's actually our podcast editor, and yeah. and uh, listeners have heard Neil's name before. He edits uh, most of the shows here on the Horse Radio Network, but he also did, uh, you know, he did a little movie about us uh, in the podcasting world, and he's helping you out with a project that looks fantastic. I saw the trailer. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I call him Big Sexy, first of all. So he's big. Se- <laughs> he's not a Neil big guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, thank you very much. Yes. The, the show is called Let's Play Through. And the, the idea basically in a nutshell is Anthony Bourdain meets the golf channel. So I looked out into the YouTube space and you see a lot of very te- like you said, golf is very technical. And so there's a lot of people, you know, telling you how uh, how this club fares against that club, how and much most spin of them there are is. boring as hell, like yeah. all the training ones in the horse world. They're just, that's why I started Horse Radio Network. All the stuff yeah. out there was boring. Nobody was having any fun. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think golf needs to be fun. That's exactly right. And so the other thing is, I, you know, my mission again is really to get millennials and families and, and people not just make it, a, uh, you know, I know we're on the horse husbands part of the show here, but <laughs> it's, you know, golf has historically been a, a, an old boys sport. You know, they left the families, they went and drank their scotch and played their golf and smoked their cigars and the kids and wife were at home. And so I wanted to make a show that would appeal to not only your, your, your hardcore golfer, but also to somebody who's a casual golfer, someone who's young, someone who's got a family and travel wants to travel with their family. And so that's what this show is about. And so what we do is we go to a particular resort course. And in addition to that, we'll also explore some of the culture and food scene and bar scenes around these cities. So uh, the, the episode you saw in the trailer, we were, we were in both Orlando and then St. Augustine. And we played some incredible uh, properties there. But then we we went out. We we went to the Fountain of Youth in St. Augustine. We went to the distillery where they where they have one of the best. Beer gins. seems to be a theme yeah. a little bit in the from what oh, I saw. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally, yeah. So we try to explore all all sorts of different things and really unlock. The, the hidden gems in each city. Well, I got to tell you, Neil did a great job when you watch the trailer. And I'm, I'll post the trailer in our show notes and also on our Facebook page at Horses in the Morning. And be sure if, you're, if your husband or your boyfriend or your significant other is into golf or you are, to check it out and watch this show because you're right. It takes It's very much a lifestyle show. It just happens to have a backdrop of golf. Right, exactly. That's right, and uh, I hope I get to some some horse tracks along the way as well because I'm I'm uh, also a horse racing fan myself. Well, there are a few of those in golf towns too, so you you shouldn't right. have too much trouble down there. Gulfstream, for one, uh, yeah, should have a golf course or two around it down there in Southern Florida. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, even here we got Tampa Bay Downs here, and of course there's some wonderful courses around here, Tampa and locally. So. This is interesting because you know, and you're so well known in your world. Is it tough to get to go? Do you, are you able to call the clubs and say, "Hey, we're going to come in and film," and they just go, "Okay." It depends on the property. I've, I, most of the time, people are saying yes. Occasionally, sometimes, like maybe they're aerating the course, or or something's happening where it's just not oh, they feasible. Don't want people to see it either at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not looking its best or or whatnot. But for the most part, I, yeah, I'm lucky that I I have I have access to some of the greatest places in the world. And that's again why I wanted to start the show because it would be a shame to to not really show people what what's out there. You know, you hear about the big places all the time, but what about the hidden gems and and, and other things you can do? Joseph, this is that good that I think it's just going to be a matter of a uh, of six to eight episodes before you're going to get a call from the Golf Channel or the Travel Channel. Wow, <laughs> it's that good. It sounds like you don't even need to be a good golfer. That it's not about the it's golf. Really it's really about. Yeah, no. that's great. Yeah. It's yeah. much broader than that. You're not giving lessons. Right. It looks like. Oh God, no! <laughs> I, I couldn't give a lesson, anyways. <laughs> yeah, nobody, I'm, nobody I'm putting out a a horse show is is talking about the nightlife uh, after you have your horse horse thing. So I. I th- maybe there's an opening here to be able yeah, to go out and, and you know what? All horse better. people drink that go to horse shows. So, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're definitely all gone out. This is <laughs> a great much. idea. I think there's a need for it. And I, I love the fact that you're trying to take something that's kind of been stuffy and make it fun. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. That's, that's my goal for sure. You, you nailed it, Glenn. Thank yeah. you. No, that is, uh, I love, you know, I love that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Gabe, uh, where can people find what you're doing and, and where can they, if they want to go follow and subscribe to your YouTube channel, what do they do? Yeah, the easiest way to subscribe is is just to go to the website, which is Let's Play Through. That's through with a U at the end, because again, we're we're not stuffy. We're not going to use the proper spelling, but Let's Play Through dot com, and it'll automatically uh, take you to YouTube where you can subscribe. The trailer will drop on September fourth, so you'll get a taste of what Glenn saw, and then the first episodes will be about a week or two right after that, and so we'll have a twelve episode season. Okay, wow. great. Well, I think that's uh, it's it's a project. Video is tough. Good luck. Yeah, with that. expensive too. <laughs> yeah, it's not cheap, and Neil's not cheap, but he's good. I mean, you can tell how good he is. He's definitely oh, a professional. Yeah. And uh, absolutely good job, Neil. It's it's uh, it's a great show, and you make a great host. You're very engaging. I think that's going to be great. Hey, thanks. Right back at you, Glenn. All right, thank you. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope to uh, catch you in Ocala soon. Well, that was fun. It was fun to talk about golf. I haven't played golf in so long. I don't think I want to play golf anymore, to be honest with you. I play best of three balls, but everybody gets pissed at you if you spend that much time. But then, like his, his video says, play through, right? Well, I always Go used to fun. like, what was it called? Was it called Scramble or something? You played with a group of, of four, and then you always took the best. Oh, it's called best ball. You always took the best ball, best. and everybody hit from there. Exactly. Because there was no pressure on me that way. (laughs) That made golfing a lot more fun. You get get a lot more exercise. And, you know, that is really what it's supposed to all be about. I agree. Same with writing. I mean, it's it, when writing stops being fun, you don't want to do it. As long as you get on and you laugh, uh, riding horses is great. I don't think it helped that the chef made me walk that mountain course after working all night. And, <laughs> and I don't think that helped. I literally could barely swing by the 18th hole. So <laughs> I think he did it just to torture story. me, actually. Chefs Especially like a thousand eggs. I mean, I don't think I could eat an egg after I <laughs> There were times, eggs. Joseph, we had, the, we had the most busy all night. Every drunk came in at night. And there would oh be a line. God. It's called Zinn's Diner. It was along the Turnpike in Pennsylvania. And it was the most popular restaurant at night, period. And there would wow. be a line literally all night long to get into this. There would be buses that would stop at 3 in the morning. So... So we literally, we had one eight-foot grill that was just pancakes. We had one eight-foot grill that was just eggs. There was times when I'd have 50 overlight eggs on at a time. And you would just, you, by the time you got them on, you'd start flipping the other ones and taking it off. I mean, there would be two people working the egg grill. There was that many eggs going out. Um, wow. So, yeah, it was a while until I could really eat eggs. <laughs> Does it still exist? No, it went out of business. You know, uh, it, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, father died, son took over, and ran it to the ground. Oh, yeah. Father had run it for 50 years as the most profitable restaurant in the county. Son took over, and we all knew the son was, just didn't have it. Wow. And it, it, sure enough, then shortly after, I worked there for four years working the night shift there. I, I, I think I made a million eggs in my lifetime. So. I can make an overnight egg, right though, golf. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we, we, there's a 50% chance that you or I golf, and, and neither of us do. But, but people do love golf. i, yes. I got to say that. When they I've do. gotten around golfers, it is pretty Oh, they're addicted the like horse people. For... They're addicted yep. like horse people. Yeah, he was right. I mean, they're addicted. Yep. They're definitely addicted. And it's expensive now. You can't play golf for a small amount of money anymore. You uh, cannot. Nope. That's right. Especially at a private club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was fun. Gabe's a good guy, and everybody should go check that out, and also should go check out Jamie's website. But in the meantime, if they want to buy a shake and fork or a flex and fork or a, gol- or a golf rake, where do they go? Sand sifting fork. Go to equitymfg.com, E-Q-U-I-T-E-E-M-F-G.com. Call uh, me or call my wife, Diane. We'll be happy to talk with you. And I wanted to say to thank all the listeners, too, because – uh, Joseph invariably after every episode says he gets orders immediately after and that you guys are helping support this. Uh, you know, he comes on and, and is gracious enough with his time and helping me out here co-hosting, uh, you know, part, partly because he has a lot of fun doing it, but also partly because, you know, this is his business and you guys supporting him means a lot to me too. So it is, it is. And, and I got a second that I, I wanted to, to actually thank, thank the people. Cause especially after the last episode, I, I don't remember, oh no, it was the one we were selling the fencing. Uh, fencing products, the standoff for the hot wire studs. And my wife says, you can't believe how many 
hot wire studs we're selling today. And I said, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that was my commercial a couple of, a couple of months ago. So there's no doubt that Horses in the Morning works. I don't, it doesn't matter what you're selling. It, it's just a, a great podcast, and you've got wonderful listeners, and we hear from them all the time. And that's a, it's great to be able to interface with them. Well, good. Thank good. you, listeners. Well, if you want to hear all the past episodes of the Horse Husband Show, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down to the middle of the page, and you'll see all of the monthly episodes listed there. And you can click on Horse Husbands, and it will take you to all the past episodes. Go take a listen to those. Tomorrow, it's really bad ads. with Jamie will be here. So send in your ads to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. That's it for today, Joseph. All right, and uh, don't forget, spay, neuter, or geld your horse. Try not to hit anybody on the golf course. Yeah, whap! And if you're going to hit yourself with a ball, at least miss your eye, for goodness yeah. sake, or wear a helmet or something. <laughs> <laughs>